Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court. Brandon Wheeler on behalf of the appellant, Gas Coin Materials Handling and Recycling, LLC. The District Court here clearly erred. There's been a number of different ways that the standard of review from this bench trial has been stated. Your Honors can state it however you feel is the correct way of stating it, but the point is that the discrete issues of math and accounting that are raised in the appellant's appeal satisfy that standard. For these issues, and again, these are discrete issues of math and accounting, um, there was no evidence, let alone substantial evidence, that would have supported what the district court did here. The first several issues raised in uh, appellant's appeal relate to um, how the district court applied the undisputed deal between the parties, and more specifically, how the district court applied the payments um, that were undisputed, that were made to the appellees. So there were both monthly payments and then there were irregular lump sum profit sharing payments. And just to turn right to the first issue, there were $248,000 in these lump sum profit sharing payments that were paid in 2016. There was a couple different payments, they totaled $248,000. And it was not disputed that those payments happened, that uh, the appellees received those payments. The district court recognized that. The district court recognized that they were profit-sharing payments. And the district court recognized that they were profit-sharing payments for profits that had been earned in prior years, 2014 and 2015. But they just weren't paid until 2016. So despite recognizing that they were profit-sharing payments and that they were attributable to profits that were due to the appellees, the district court just didn't apply the $248,000 to the balance that it calculated that was due to the appellees. How do you know that? Well, you have to do a little bit of work to dig through the math, but if you look at the chart that's set out uh, by the district court in its findings, and I can turn to it as I am talking, um, it sets out the... Uh, Where is that in the appendix, or in the, in the um, addendum or appendix? I will get to it in just a moment, Your Honors. You're talking about on page 86 of the order? That's correct, Your Honor. On, uh, that would be finding of fact 301. And then there, the district court sets out the revenue, the expenses, and then the 50% share of the profits, and then the payments to, uh, to the appellees here. And you can see for 20. How do you know that the. Go ahead. How do you know that the. Uh, for 2014, for example, how do you know that the. Uh, the amount that you're referring to. Uh, is not in the 348. Because I went through and calculated exactly how these numbers were derived. Um, I, well, it, it, the district court didn't set went, it out. How are we supposed to know? Let me put it that way. That the three, four, that the, so there's a chart that, that I put in. 48,000 isn't in the 348. Uh, because there, I, I set out in a chart exactly how these numbers were arrived to. And this chart is in my, uh, in my opening brief, and I can give you the specific numbers, but it spans several pages. It starts on page 26 of my brief, and I start with 2011, and I carry it all the way through 2017, and I show exactly how each one of these was calculated. And it admittedly took some work because the district court didn't. Well, this chart, was this part of the evidence in the case? 
as, as in this form before the district court? So this chart is derived from trial exhibits um, 9 and 10. So there were trial exhibits 9 and 10, uh, which are in but the this addendum. this chart wasn't part of the record. Uh, this chart that I have drawn right here is not part of the record, but the data is. So if you look at exhibits 9 and trial exhibits 9 and 10, um, that's where where it says date, amount, description, that's all just copied and pasted from that. The only thing that I have done is I've added whether it was omitted from the district court's calculation or not. But I thought for 2014, if I understand it right, there was a dispute between the parties as to how much had been paid before you got to this 2016 allocation. I don't believe there's any dispute as to how much was paid. There's disputes about what the profits should be, and all there's right. disputes about... Um, okay, maybe I misspoke. There's a dispute about... There's lots of disputes in this case. <laughs> um, sorry. Well, the point is that the plaintiff said that the, the amount was lower than what the defendant said. And the judge came up with a number that was in between. The 348 number is in between the position of the parties. And so I don't understand yet how you can say you don't, you, we know that the 48 wasn't in there. Sure. So the 348, because if the judge agreed with the plaintiffs that the amount was lower than what you say, then he may have added the 48. Sure. So there um, are certain payments that the parties didn't dispute, um, and then there were the treatment of the monthly payments that were disputed. So post-trial, the appellees took the position that the entire $11,000 a month should not be treated as an advance. Appellant took the position that the entire $11,000 per month um, should be treated as an advance or a draw. And the district court, what it did was it basically landed in the middle. It took $7,500 of that amount and said that, yes, this is an advance or a draw. And then the $3,500, it did not so treat as an advance or a draw. And that's how we get into the middle of the two numbers that we're talking about. So in appellant's math, uh, it would include all of the irregular ones. Appellee's math would include all of the irregular payments. And they set this out in, in their post-trial submissions to the court where they agreed that all of this um, had to be accounted for. It's in those monthly payments where these discrepancies come out, and then that's why the math um, lands in the middle between what the parties were stating with the payments to the, to the appellees. Well, it sounds like you're asking us to redo the, the math in this case and refine the facts. How, show me or at least ex express a bit more directly where the district court clearly erred. Give, give, us, give, us finding, give us findings paragraphs and then give us a cite to the record where you argued to the contrary on, on the record. Sure. If we so, if we go, I didn't. I don't know if your brief has all this. It's it's frankly un, unmanageable. So if we go to uh, finding three hundred one, and you can see there's the column for twenty sixteen. There is a zero for net income, which refle reflects that there was a loss. There was no net income. So therefore, there is nothing reflected for the plaintiff's fifty percent share. Well, I don't see if where's the finding, where's the the judge's decision on this issue. It's 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 right here. Well, say it's implicit. 
It because by your by your math. Well, right here. You can't cite to, to a, a statement in the record or a order in the record or a document in the record where the trial court said, I am excluding this. That's true. The trial court did not directly say I am excluding this, but well, if you. I mean, that, it's your obligation to prepare a record. If you, if you, plan, to, if you plan to appeal this kind of, of, of mathematical um, complexity, you've got to make the record. And I don't think you did. On well, any of these things. Well, Your Honor, we did file a post-trial motion and asked the district court to make findings on exactly this issue. Too late. Well, in the in the post-trial submissions, um, both parties agreed that the two. That, is that his, is his denial of that motion? Is that on appeal? Yes. Okay. So that's the only thing. That's the only thing we're talking about then. Well, no, respectfully, Your Honor, the $248,000 issue. That's not what you want. That's not what you want. But that's the way I see it, frankly, for the reason that Chief Judge Smith says. We're not here to micro, re-micro this kind of complexity. And just to be clear, we're not appealing 99% of what the district no, court... but you're asking us to go in and, and take four little, in a 105-page order... You want us to take four, four particular findings which were never clearly articulated and which you didn't build a record so that they must be. And you want us to go in and, and, and just look at those. And frankly, I'm, I'm not going to do that. My colleagues might. In, in your honor, just, uh, just to address a few of those points, um, Again, I agree it's not clearly articulated, which is why we filed the motion. And both parties in their post-trial submissions both agreed that the $248,000, which was paid in 2016, needed to be accounted for. And I, I say to that in my, in my brief where... They say this when in this motion practice or earlier? The, no, in the post-trial, both there was a, both a trial post-trial brief and then a post-trial uh, proposed findings of fact and conclusions of law in the specific sites uh, to where this is discussed is in my brief. Um, but ev everyone understood the $248,000 payment was, was made. But just to refocus on finding 301, there's not even a, a zero where it says total paid to plaintiffs for 2016. It's just simply blank. And does all this go back to the annual versus cumulative issue? Or is this one discreet? This is different because, uh, you know, it's possible. What's an advance versus what's something else? This one is different. This is not one of the monthly payments. This $248,000 uh, was reflecting a lump sum profit payment from profits that had been earned from 2014 and profits that had been earned for 2015. And, uh, you know, the district court recognized that when it... Um, issued its conclusions of law on uh, the issue of prejudgment interest. The date that it used to start the running of prejudgment interest was the date that this quote-unquote underpayment was paid in 2016. So it recognized it as an underpayment in 2016, but then didn't actually include the underpayment and how it was calculating, or didn't include that payment as how it reached the, okay, the underpayment. Where do, I, where do I go for the pre-trial or mid-trial um, Place your your statement of, of, of Gascoigne's position on this on the two hundred and forty eight thousand dollar issue. I don't have my uh, that immediately in front of me. Do it. Not, I'm saying you. I, didn't, I don't know who tried the case. That, that's not neither here nor there. Sure. So the way uh, in 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 Gas was it laid out pre-trial? 
In pretrial, yes, there were accounting expert reports, and the accounting expert reports. No, that expert reports don't frame issues. There was not pretrial briefing or, or opening statements or things of that nature, no. Okay, so, so when during the trial was, was your position clearly articulated to the district court, and maybe, maybe, maybe we can figure out from the prejudgment interest award that it was excluded, that is, a, that is a very awkward way to do it. Well, exhibits nine and ten were discussed extensively at trial. Um, discussed. I want to know. I want. I'd like a cite to when you told the district court, you, your client, told the district court, don't exclude that, and, it, for, and gave reasons. During the trial, in the you want to cite to the trial transcript. Time to preserve the issue for appeal. Okay, and I will find the specific site during my break um, to the po Gascoigne's post-trial uh, submissions. That, but that's not soon enough. Counsel, you're, you're within your only, rebuttal that's time. That's only now. soon enough to appeal the denial of that motion. I'd like to reserve the rest of my time for rebuttal, if I may, so I can get some sites for you. Thank you, Your Honors. Mr. Frimstad. <clears throat> Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court, Counsel. My name is Joel Fremstead, and I'm here on behalf of the appellees, Jay Buchel and Doran Chatnover, Jay and Chat. This is a case about a deal. This deal is like a formula. I want the Court to think about the deal as a defined term, the deal, because it governs the case and it governs Judge Hovland's decision. The appeal, 50% of net profits. What's, what's the issue on appeal that... That, that you're framing? We're, we don't like what the judge... You're doing the 105-page analysis. There's nothing you should do. You should accept what Judge Hovland did. I don't, I don't know that there's an issue on appeal that challenges the nature of the deal. I agree. Well, then why are you taking time with it? With because I want you to uphold the deal. I want you to ignore the arguments that they're making about math. Uphold the deal if it's not an issue on appeal. I appreciate that, Your Honor. We wanted 1.5 million. The judge gave 822,000. The judge applied the deal, applied the math. He didn't make math errors. Let me ask you about one part of the deal on one issue that I think I can, I think I understand, which is this uh, matter of the advances in 2016 and 2017. Mm -hmm. Whereas I understand it, it's undisputed that your clients got some advances. 286,000, and part of that was per diem payments. If you take out the per diems, it leaves 195,000. Are you with me so far? Generally. Generally. All right, stay with me generally. Yep. There were zero profits, as I understand it. Correct. And so the appellants say, they didn't argue it this morning, but they say, uh, there were zero profits, but you guys got 195000 in advances. Mm -hmm. 
and that's not legitimate 50% profit sharing part of the deal because there were zero profits. And so that 195 should not have been counted. And Judge Hovland says there was no agreement that you would share in the losses. But there were no law, this wasn't a loss share as I understand it. This is just a question whether you should get 195,000 in profit sharing when there were zero profits. Why isn't that clearly erroneous? Thank you, Your Honor. There was a deal, as Judge uh, Hovland found, and it's not appealed, right? There was no sum of money due and owing to Gascoigne or Platson as an offset for the 2016 reconciliation period. That's uh, conclusion of Law 23. Finding of Fact 303, there was not to be sharing in any losses. So what happens is we get to the end of the 2015 period, there's adjustments, reconciliations, things that happen, payments made. But then we get to 2016. They had never imagined that this deal was going to end, so we still have to keep going with the deal. They want to act like somehow there was a new deal that when Mr. Pladson stops paying my clients that we had a plan for the end of the deal, but we didn't. So we never get to a point where we have money. So yes, they got some money in 2016. But, but why should your guys get any money in 2016 because if there were zero profits? If, as you say, we had a deal and the deal was 50-50 profit sharing. Because that money was put out there as an advance. Nowhere in the history of this organization had Jay and Chat, as part of the deal, had to give Did money you back. Did as, as an advance in, on your tax returns? I don't think tax returns, because the field services... I would I would inquire into how how everybody treated this for tax purposes if I were if I were trying the case. So there's a whole bunch of accountants, but it's all sort of a bunch of blather because at the end of the day, Judge Hovland said that that's well, not responsive. Okay, if, there, if, if if the tax complications aren't in the record, just that's your answer. <laughs> Correct, Your Honor, because the judge agreed that the accountants didn't decide it, and their expert Don uh, Dan Dasovic, he also agreed that. Nothing that had to do with IRS regulations or anything like that drove the, the bus. So ultimately, coming back to you, Your Honor, if we, if we have money that is sitting there in 2016. What do you but, mean sitting there? That's been advanced There was some you? money that was advanced, right? Yeah, and that's but advances on profit sharing, as I understand. It's a couple different categories of things. It's without a doubt, I think, in the record that there was money. But if you look at what Judge Hovland did, he said, because there's not profit money sitting there, you're asking us to create an offset. And there was never a term for that. Prior to 2016, they'd never lost money. So there's no deal. I know, said, I know. So the question is, what happens if they, if they have zero profits or lose money? You stick with the, you have to stick with the original deal. You don't, they don't I get know to make that, a deal. But I thought the deal was you get 50% of profits. Why but, should you get 195,000 when there's zero profits. That's you, what I'm trying the, to say. The record would reflect that any time there was an advance, right? They, there, is, there was never a deal to take back advances just because there wasn't money to pay. In 2016, when it came time to pay, there was no money sitting there. So when you look at finding 301 that has the, the math uh, that, and nothing about so payments. So it, it sounds almost like you're saying there was virtually no risk for your clients. Correct. Uh, it's undisputed in this deal, Your Honor, that our clients were decided to be 
independent contractors with no risk sharing in the loss, that the deal was 50% of net profits, and after agreed upon expenses, after agreed upon overhead. And so the deal no, never none, changed. None of that answers Judge Colliton's yeah. question. Yeah, because you wouldn't share in any losses, I understand that, but uh, my, my concern is whether there's a windfall here where you got 195000 when you were only supposed to get 50% of zero for that year. And again, I, I would say two things. One, they made an unjust enrichment argument, a windfall argument. The judge threw that out because of their unclean hands. And when it comes to the fact that... That's irrelevant. The judge that that so that's one side of why it might seem unfair that that you can do some math and say that they got some payments, but if the deal doesn't say where to take this money from, that's what the deal says. That's what the judge found. They want us to say that if we advance you profit sharing monies in 2016, but yet we decide to shut down the business even though there's no money to take it from, you have to put money in the kitty. As you indicated, Judge Smith, this was intended to be a risk-free deal for my clients. They were the brains of the operation, and Mr. Pladson and Gascoigne were the financing. Well, they were I think to take it kind of risk. depends whether the judge found that the deal included what you just said. Did he find that the deal was... There's no obligation to return advances, even if there's zero profits. And so, I couldn't find that particular conclusion or finding. I just found where he said there's no obligation to share in losses, which I think is a different concept. But go ahead. And maybe, again, we may be talking past each other. Conclusion of Law 21, quote, as a result, there is no sum of money due and owing to Gascoigne or Pladson as an par- offset for the 2016 reconciliation Which period. paragraph number? That is Conclusion of Law 23. What? Conclusion of Law 23. He didn't separately number the... What page? <laughs> Well, anyway, I know that's it's what... It's at he, Addendum 94, Your Honor. Okay. I know that's what he ended up saying, bottom line, that there was no offset. But uh, but, but, but the, he, right before that, he said the reason there's no offset due is the plaintiffs were, ex, were not expected to share in any business losses. Mm-hmm. And right. the, the argument the appellants are making is not that you had to share in losses. It's that you don't get profit-sharing payments when there were no profits. And Isn't that different? The, maybe the best way I can simply say it is, if we get $5 in, in 2016, and for whatever reason, we shut the business down, we don't make money, any of that, and you know now they want their $5 back, that would require us sharing in the losses, because we're going to have no, to pull money no, back no, out. No, I mean... The- it's more than semantics, but there's a lot of semantics in this. Uh, I don't, I, did, did the trial court ever lay out the deal and say clearly it did not in, it did how, what to do in this situation? This is not an offset. This is a question of what's, what, what uh, if, if, the, if the deal is only to share profits, how can, how can your client keep money that it got in advance in a year that there are no profits? 
for the same reason, whether it's per diem, whether it's salary. Per diem might be different. It, and it is, because again, the judge was very specific yeah, I'm about- I'm not asking about right. the per diem. I understand okay. that that but takes it down to This one. is money that was given to us and then Mr. Pladson shuts down our payments to us. So there's no more money, there's nothing else coming in. And now Mr. Pladson, who unilaterally shuts the business down, wants the money back. There was never any agreement. That's the, What's this unilaterally shut the business down? It was his business, right? It was. You were saying part of this deal was that he couldn't do that? No. So he could shut the business down. But if he wants to shut the business down, he had been in boom and bust cycles before in the Bakken. He knew that, that there could be a bad period. So if he wanted this money back, he either, one, shouldn't have paid it, or two, he should have made sure that they talked about the deal going forward. Now we're, well, I've given you money, and I want the money back. Counsel, he didn't do that. It's a given in this case that they didn't, that, that it's an oral agreement, and it was foolish that it was oral, and it's very <laughs> difficult to reconstruct the terms. But we're, I, I think Judge Collinson's talking about what were the terms, and where do we find that this was a term of the agreement that you can keep advances mm -hmm. that were paid in anticipation of profits in a year when there are no profits. Again, one of I can try to point to different things that we believe well, support it. Finding of we're reviewing findings yes. and conclusions. Yep. We're not retrying the case. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a paragraph where Judge Hovland said the deal included that you could keep the advances in this scenario, that would be helpful. I couldn't find that. All I could find was you don't have to share in the losses. Mm -hmm. But is, again, is there anything you, else you want me to look at? Uh, I. I would say that when he, if you read... Not argument. The question is, is <laughs> tell us, tell us in the, where we can get help on this in the record. Your, 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 you know, your argument is not help. Let me do this. They made the exact same arguments uh, in the motion to alter amend that they're making to you today. Judge Hovlin stood by his findings of fact, conclusions of law, including three. Where is the finding on this? It, among others, it includes 303, which Judge Colleton does note, does talk about losses. But from Judge Hovlin's perspective, if you look at all of his findings of fact, 303, conclusion of law 23, and others, he believes and he decided he found that if that he had to let Jay and Chat keep this because there was no deal term to take it back. That if you let them take it back, that would be taking and making them share in losses. Ultimately, uh, your honors, I have a couple minutes left. Per diem, it seems like everyone gets it. Judge Hovland and uh, Jay and Chat distinguished between salary and per diem. That was something that existed before 2013, if you look at exhibits 9 and 10. So, Judge Do you Hovland, want to say anything about the point that was argued this morning, this, uh, this 280? I couldn't really follow the argument, so, frankly, but this, uh, two, this 248. 248, yeah. So there's the per diem argument that is the taking out. He, did, he counted. That wasn't argued this morning. All you're doing is opening it up for rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not, Mr., there's two issues that relate to the 2016 and 2017 monies. Part of it was profit sharing. Part of it was per diem. They're both governed by the terms of the deal. So they are one uh, and the same, uh, Your Honor. And so I think 
If I've answered to the best I can Judge Colleton's questions, I will take Judge Loken's point uh, no, that... I, I, don't, I don't understand why that's covered by the same terms of the deal. Because there was no other term. They had a big picture agreement that said Jay and Chat aren't subject to losses. And this would require them to give money back that they had already gotten, put away. That's, that's the elsewhere. separate point. I was talking about the point that was argued this yeah, morning. We're the, which one? The 248 that, he, that they say was not included uh, in the amounts for 24 the and 2015. was included and the 3500 yeah. wasn't. Right, but that's where if, the, if you don't count the 3500 because Jay and Chet sat that, said that that was salary, the 2012 goal sheet said that that doesn't count. If you look at finding of fact 21, if you look at uh, Jay and Chet's testimony, per diem and salary were different. So the 3500 judge, he, he said that they split the difference. That's what Judge Hudson did, and it's supported by the evidence. Thank you, Your Honors. Mr. Wheeler. Thank you, Your Honors. On this $248,000 issue, I think I can restate it in a way that provides some clarity, and then I have specific sites to provide. The issue is, is that when uh, appellant calculated the amounts that had been paid to appellees, it did the monthly payments when the monthly payments were made. But when these lump sum payments that were attributable to earlier profits were paid, uh, appellant tied those back to the earlier years in its calculation. What appellees and then the district court did is they just calculated them as they were paid. So when you look at 2011 through 2013, it includes everything that was paid in that calendar or in that time period, regardless of what it was attributable to. So same for 14 and 15. Even if it was attributable to an earlier year, the district court calculated it in those years. So the problem then is we have in 2016, 200. I can't follow. Okay. You're talking so fast. Sorry, Your Honor. So, so the issue is, is that the 2016 payments, by the way the district court calculated them, even though they were attributable to earlier years, the district court didn't put them with those earlier years. The district court put them with 2016, but for 2016, it's just a zero. It doesn't, re it doesn't uh, reflect the fact that those payments were attributable to earlier years. To direct the, the question Your Honor asked uh, during my opening here, uh, we did present this issue in our proposed findings of fact, which the district court had asked for. This is before um, the, uh, the motion that's at issue. And if you look at pages 1993 and 1997, which are proposed findings of fact 135 and 148, you can see that um, appellant specifically requested that these payments, which were numerous payments, that they be applied against profits. Thank you, Your Honors. Thank you.